0: The following message is from King's Cross Church in Manchester, New Hampshire. For more information, please visit us at kingscrossmanchester.com. 1 Peter 4, we're going to pick up in verse 12, uh, and then we are going to look at this together. 1 Peter 4.12, Beloved, do not be surprised at the fiery trial when it comes upon you to test you as though something strange were happening to you. But rejoice insofar as you share Christ's sufferings, that you may also rejoice and be glad when his glory is revealed. If you are insulted for Christ's name, you are blessed, because the spirit of glory and of God rests upon you. But let none of you suffer as a murderer, or as a thief, or as an evildoer, or even as a meddler. Yet if anyone suffers as a Christian, let him not be ashamed, but let him glorify God in that name of being a Christian. For it is time for judgment to begin at the household of God, and if it begins with us, what will be the outcome for those who do not obey the gospel of God? And if the righteous are scarcely saved, what will become of the ungodly and the sinner? Therefore, Let those of you who suffer according to God's will entrust their souls to the faithful creator while doing good. Father, as we look at these words and consider what you have for us here, would we experience your presence with us regardless of whether we are in suffering or persecution right now? That we would experience your presence with us and know what it's like to look for your presence when we do experience those times it's in Jesus name we pray amen Uh, I'm getting old enough now where some of my um cultural reference points are being getting beginning to be a little dated uh does anybody remember the fight between Evander Holfield and uh Mayweather I'm sorry uh Tyson and Holyfield it's a big deal okay I got another geezer in here with me anybody okay do you even know who I'm talking about Tyson Holyfield famous fight, Uh, there's a little bit of some snacking going on in the middle of the fight. Um, But going into the fight, the reason I bring it up uh, is that Mike Tyson, uh, he famously said in preparation for the fight, he said, everybody has a plan until they get punched in the mouth. Um, You can use that in a lot of ways for your life. Um, I feel like that is a good way of understanding a little bit of why we continue to talk about suffering. Um, Here we have kind of the third paragraph our third major, major section in 1 Peter, and we kind of get at it and we're kind of like, Peter, like, come on, we got it, Suffering's hard, Jesus loves us, let's move on. The reason we are looking at this yet again, I think the reason Peter has this for us, is not because Mike Tyson's quote is not to say, uh, don't have a plan. Um, the reason Mike Tyson said that is when things go sideways <laughs> and in his uh, line of work, you get punched in the mouth what do you do then? How are you prepared for when things don't go according to plan? And that's why Peter brings this up. Basically, suffering always is uninvited. I don't know. I mean, unless you're a masochist, you don't walk into your life in the morning and think, I'm looking forward to some more suffering today. Jesus, please send me more. It's always an uninvited guest. And Peter, as a good pastor, is leading us to consider in all the ways in which suffering comes into our lives... How do we prepare? What do we do in the midst of the battle? How do we, what do we do when the fog lays on? What do we do when we're shocked by yet another situation that has come up, uninvited? So verse 12, he says, just point blank, I find it so funny. Beloved, do not be surprised when the fiery trial. Don't be surprised, it's coming. Whether you're inviting it or wanting it or anticipating it, not looking forward to it, whatever, it will come, it will show up. And so... How do we orient so that when that punch in the mouth comes, we kind of know how to find our legs to figure out what we're doing. What he lays out in these few verses, and we're going to get into this in this second, what he lays out, um, I'm getting a little bit of some feedback here. Is that, is that just me? Okay. Um, what he lays out is not a one, two, three, how to solve your suffering. Um, The Bible, in fact, as far as I am aware, there is no prayer, especially in the New Testament, there is no prayer to change the circumstances of suffering. There is not a single time in any of the prayers of Paul or in the ministry of Jesus where you find them saying, God, change the suffering circumstances. The orientation, rather, is as I continue to walk through this, how do I find you? How do I look for you? So rather than like a one, two, three step for how we engage with the suffering in our lives, what I think Peter has for us is imagine suffering is an uninvited guest that walks into your house, sits down in your living room, eats all your food, starts taking up space, and you don't know how to gain perspective on what's going on. What Peter is offering us here is here's a few ways to open up the windows in your living room. To gain some perspective to understand what exactly to do when suffering is an uninvited guest in your living room and you don't know how to handle it is that tracking we're cool we're going to jump in here's the main point of what we're looking at when you suffer look for god's presence with you i think that's the main point by the way this q a this goes to my phone here if you have any questions shoot them my my way i will be glad to engage with those after the sermon When you suffer, look for God's presence with you. So we're going to pick up here verse 12, 12 through 14. We are going to see that the way we suffer, when we suffer, we look for God's presence. The window to open is rest with God in suffering. Beloved, do not be surprised when the fiery trial comes upon you to test you. As though something strange were happening to you. But rejoice insofar as you share Christ's sufferings, that you may also rejoice and be glad when his glory is revealed. If you are insulted for the name of Christ, you are blessed, because the spirit of glory and of God rests upon you. See, it's interesting to me, what Peter is leading us into considering is that, quite frankly, suffering is not only going to happen, but you were defined as a Christian by a suffering leader, a suffering savior, right? The shape and scope, the emotional range, the intellectual purpose, everything about the life of Jesus was engaged with and touched by suffering in one way or the other. And so in a certain sense, you get what your master got. That's kind of, that's a part of, it's built into the program. And yet we are surprised. We often think if I'm in Jesus, man, now that sin no longer has a power over me, suffering will no longer knock on my doorstep. But that is not the way of Jesus. Jesus, what what I think Peter might be referring to is not just simply, we all understand that the cross of Christ was suffering, very clearly. But I think what he has in view is the entire life of Jesus was marked and touched by suffering in multiple ways. I mean, you read through the, the gospel story, You think about it, I don't know how your family relationships are. Has anybody, I don't want to raise hands if anybody has like strained relationships with your family. But I don't imagine any of us have had quite the same experience of teaching in a context like this. And your family shows up at the door knocking and saying, would you please bring in the straitjacket and get that man out of here? My brother, my cousin, my son is absolutely insane. That is a type of suffering that Jesus endured. His family rejecting him. Not only that, but his family rejecting him, but then his hometown being kind of like, bro, you are off your rocker. I mean, his, his whole hometown, not only his family, his hometown, and then the religious leaders, probably the very religious leaders who taught him, were a part of conspiring to murder him. He had friends that he ate dinner with, who then were, by buy a simple 30 coins, selling them off for persecution and suffering the next day. He had multiple people join and then leave him. So you can imagine how many of us have had friendships that just deteriorate for one reason or the other. That's a suffering that Jesus endured. You can imagine, I'm just kind of like randomly picking things from Jesus' life. Jesus is there sitting by a well, caring for a woman who is in desperate need of positive male engagement, somebody to welcome her into the community and treat her with dignity and respect, thinking John four here. And what do his, his bros do? Like, Jesus, what is wrong with you? Why are you talking to her? This is so wrong on multiple levels. They misunderstand and misinterpret him and not only misunderstand Jesus, but continue to, to, to demean this woman that Jesus is trying to dignify by his grace and presence. There are all these different, like, varying levels of degrees of suffering in Jesus' life that make up the whole of who he is. It's what it's like. It's as though God himself perfectly steps into human form and engages our world and our brokenness in our lives and experiences all the stuff that you and I live through. That is what I think Peter, when we come back here and it says. Verse 13, but rejoice insofar as you share in Christ's sufferings. I think that's what Peter has in view. Now, I think an objection to what I just said could be, yeah, but there's nothing unique about that stuff, right? The cross of Christ, for example, there were two guys dying right next to him. They all experienced probably the exact same types of physical torment that Jesus went through. Uh, You don't have to be a Christian or a Jesus follower to be misunderstood and misrepresented and rejected by your family. I think we we meet in a building right here where a lot of the folks um, in recovery have experienced being rejected by their family. I think the unique part of Jesus' sufferings, and I think the unique part of what it means to share in those sufferings, is this. He engaged in, he accepted those sufferings because he was attempting to be faithful to God. We share in Christ's sufferings as we, in our own lives and in our own capacities and contexts, are attempting to be faithful to God. Right? He's going to go on to say, basically, um, if you suffer because you're dumb, you deserve it. <laughs> Verse 13 here, but rejoice in so far, in this way as you share in Christ's suffix. Now there's an overt way in which you can do this, right? Um, There is the overt dynamics of being a Christian in a country or context where you are murdered, persecuted, whatever, for the name of Christ. That is the overt kind. But there's this implicit kind that I think, because there's that obvious category, we all kind of like push aside All of these ways in which we suffer for the name of Christ, because we're just, we're just trying to be faithful. At the end of the day, you just kind of want to be like, I know that there's those martyrs and and those people who suffer in that way, and maybe there's that going on in our neighborhood. I don't think that's a predominant reality of our experience as Christians. And I'm not saying that uh, it's persecution because you say Happy Holidays rather than Merry Christmas in, in December. That's not persecution right? That's just culture being culture, whatever. It's being inviting and nice to your neighbors. What Peter has in view here is when you are trying at the end of the day, just simply to live as though God is real, that his designs are good, and that his grace empowers you to follow those designs, and then other people snub you, continue to use you, abuse you, reject you, Misunderstand you and push you aside because of that, that is a part of the sufferings of Christ. I think that's what Peter's getting at. Verse 14 helps us, in a certain sense, in the midst of that brooding of being misunderstood and that type of suffering, open the window. If you are insulted, verse 14, for the name of Christ you are blessed. Because the spirit of glory and of God rests upon you, right? This spirit of glory and of God is one big category, just basically to say the same spirit that filled Jesus in his earthly ministry and his sufferings and his life and death and resurrection, that same spirit rests with you in your exact moment of suffering and misunderstanding and trial, whatever that looks like. There is not a moment in your suffering where you are alone. Following Jesus frees us from sin, but it does not free us from suffering. And in the midst of that suffering, that persecution, whatever you want to call that, that fiery trial from verse 12, that moment where following Jesus costs us something, that is the exact moment, that is the exact place where the Spirit is revealing more of the heart of Jesus to us. You don't actually get to know the rest of who God is like. I mean, you get to know what God's like by seeing the gospel. Jesus loves me. He died for my sin. There is the basics of that, but there is a deeper experience of knowing God himself as you feel the cost of what it means to follow him. And that is the exact point where the Spirit is in the midst of that suffering Opening up the heart of Christ to you. Jesus knows this stuff. He knows this place. And if Jesus knows it, it is filled with resurrection power. That is kind of what Peter's getting at here. I don't want to speak to details, but I personally see this in the lives of the folks in our church. I want to give some sort of scattering of ideas kind of put some details of this because I I think this can still feel a little kind of like out there and not in this room. I think what this looks like is in the midst of a court case where um, you're the victim and you choose against all the cruelty and suffering that the court system can cause you to speak the truth. I think that's one of the things that is a part of the sufferings of christ you think about the trial of christ where he testifies to the truth amidst a cruel system that was quite literally gerrymandered against him is saying i will speak what happened to me and i will speak truth about it regardless of the system that i am in and what it will cost me i think that it is a part of for example being in a workplace, and a culture that is increasingly cynical about good things and choosing not to give in to the cynical, rude, sarcastic culture that can develop there. And because of that, you know, kind of being treated like the Captain America of the place. <laughs> Sorry, I just watched Age of Ultron again for the tenth time. It could also be Um, in the midst of a divorce situation or a finalized divorce situation where you know that your ex is throwing out lies and they're being approved by the court that you don't do the same in return. Where you know you actually have enough dirt where you could win. Or you could say something and get your way. That's a suffering for Christ's sake because you're choosing to follow God's plan and design for simply entrusting him with the process even when it is incredibly unfair I don't think any of these things are overt persecution I do think that they are implied persecution for simply not giving in to what's acceptable by the culture because at the end of the day you are wanting to follow Jesus I think that's a part of these sufferings of Christ. You can disagree with me, but I think that's kind of what's going on here. All right. You guys tracking with me? We're cool. We're going to pick up here in verse 15. Another way when you suffer to look for God's presence with you is to move towards God with suffering. Verse 15, but let none of you suffer as a murderer or a thief or an evildoer or even as a meddler. Yet if anyone suffers as a Christian, let him not be ashamed, and let him but let him glory, glorify God in that name. For it is time for judgment to begin at the household of God. And if it begins with us, what will be the outcome for those who do not obey the gospel of God? And, as he's quoting here, if the righteous is scarcely saved, what will become of the ungodly and the sinner? Uh, basically, uh, verse 15, as I said earlier is, uh, if you're going to suffer, uh, don't suffer because you're dumb and then blame it on Jesus. (laughs) That's kind of like what he's going, what he's saying here. Um, it is interesting when you kind of dig into the details here, um, even in the, their pagan context, their Roman culture back then, when it's, when he says here, verse 15, let none of you suffer as a murderer and a thief, being a murderer and a thief was still, um, Illegal back then. Like it's not like Rome was kind of like, hey, murder's cool. Um, we're gonna have the purge once a year. Everybody can do that. Uh, there was no purge back then. There was no. Suff- uh, there was no. Not allowed to do that. Murdering and thieving was still illegal. Um, or an evildoer, and that's a broad category for basically somebody that's just kind of like mean. Those are all kind of one big category, and I just find it interesting that at the end of this, he says. Um, uh, or even as a meddler, like somebody who's just kind of like a getting involved in other people's business that's not yours to get involved with. Honestly, I read this and I'm kind of like, man, I've seen so much meddling in the Facebook comment, YouTube comment, Twitter thread comment section of the world. I'm not on TikTok, so I don't know what beef looks like there. Um, <laughs> I'm sorry, I just I can't do it, and it's definitely not Snapchat. That one seems illegal to me. Um, <laughs> There, there's something shady with I, that's always just never struck me well. Uh, <laughs> I mean, maybe it is, whatever with you. Um, but it seems to me that Christians really like to kind of back themselves in the corner when they're really being um, mean. And then they'll be like, oh, it's just because you don't like Christians or Jesus or something like that. And it's kind of like, it's kind of like they treat it like a trump card of being kind of like, oh, well, you don't like what I'm saying or how I'm saying it. I'm just trying to be truthful. Well, no, you're just being a jerk and unloving and you're being a meddler. Like, that, that's what you're doing. So Peter's comment is, uh, don't do that and then blame it on Jesus. <laughs> like, you don't get to have, like, the Jesus card out of suffering and being, like, a victim. I do think it's interesting, though, to stop my ranting about this stuff. Um, let none of you suffer as a murderer or a thief or an evildoer or a meddler. These are all, it's interesting, negative responses to stressful life situations, Right? Nobody is happy eating an ice cream cone and then murder somebody. I mean, we mentally well people, I guess, but you understand what I mean, right? These are all negative reactions to stressful life situations. So Peter's not diminishing the, the stressful life situations. What he's saying is don't deal with stress in your life, the strain of persecution or suffering or whatever in negative dynamics and then chalk it up to Jesus. He is saying what you should be doing is moving towards God with your suffering. Before we get to verse sixteen, I want to swing out to seventeen to eighteen and just make a few comments because I think those the purpose is to focus on sixteen in this section. Verse seventeen, but for it is time for judgment to begin at the household of God. And if it begins with us, what will be the outcome of those who do not obey the gospel? Of God, I think, what he's saying here is a part of the purpose of trial in the Christian life. At times, is to expose ways in which we are not in sync with the character of God. That's not to say all persecution in your life is that, and you have to find out where you're obeying, disobeying God. Again, he's different. He's offering different perspectives on how to understand what's going on. If you were doing something along the lines of being a murderer, thief, evildoer, or meddler. The corollary to that is verse 17. God begins to judge those things in the household of God so that they get purged from our lives and our life together. I think this is a part of the background of, for example, why in our current culture we continue to see church abuse and abuse of all different kinds continue to have laser focus by the sovereignty of God and being exposed. See, then other areas of the church's life, whether that's uh, issues of racism, domination, persecution, Power complexes, those types of things. When we read, like, we're in, if you ever read the news or you just kind of look at Christianity today and you're just kind of like, man, just another pastor who is just being like an absolute monster or just another Christian saying dumb stuff. I think this is a part of what's going on there. Is God just kind of saying, like, hey, man, um, that's not cool in my house. We don't tolerate that type of behavior in the name of my son, and we're going to continue to uproot it and expose it. And you're not hurting the church by, say, by exposing it either. Like, it was actually people who were doing it that were, expo- they were hurting the church and hurting the name of Jesus. It's actually healthy for us to extract those things into a light to let them be dealt with. So what God is saying, sometimes that judgment is to get rid of verse 15 type stuff in our midst. Apart from that, verse 16, yet if anyone suffers as a Christian, right, he's qualifying that. Right, If you suffer, as we were talking about earlier, for the sake of following and being faithful to Jesus, here is his second window to open. Let him not be ashamed, yet let him glory, glorify God in that name. I think this is such a, an interesting way for Peter to say this, because he could have just said, let him glorify God. But what he does is he says, don't be ashamed if you're a Christian and suffering for following Jesus Glorify in your name of being in, in, in Jesus. I want to kind of pick up on two things here, and we'll move on. The first thing is let him not be ashamed. I, I find this is where you, 2,000 years later, I don't know, or whatever, when Peter died, 2,000 years later, people are still exactly the same. We really haven't changed that much. I mean, I think we have better clothes, and I really like air conditioning, um, and music, is great on instruments, you know, instead of like the lutes and flutes and stuff like that. I like guitars. Things have changed a little bit, but people have not. I'm sure in your experience of suffering, or you've seen with people around you, suffering comes, and what is the psychological direction of everybody in suffering? It is to go inward. It is to go into how am I to blame? What did I do? What did I do wrong? How is this my fault? What did I do? All these internal it goes inward. We go inward with our suffering. I did something wrong. I'm the problem. We feel ultimately embarrassed for being ourselves because experiencing suffering is hard. It is difficult. And the way we intuitively respond to it is just to go inward, to go to shrink inside. I mean, you think about. If you think about stress in your life, even just like physiologically, the way we respond to stress is to like hunch over our shoulders get a crick in our neck, soreness in our back because we do like, I'm exaggerating it like this, but this is how we kind of like respond to stress. We get like really tense. It's a a physiological response to like protecting ourselves. We psychologically know we're in danger in the midst of suffering and we physically manifest it by responding in this way. So much so that, I'm not sure if you're aware of this, with PTSD survivors and victims, here are three things that happen in the midst of a PTSD survivor that are physiological, that have massive psychological effects. Uh, I will qualify this to say I am not a medical doctor, and I don't really know uh, medicine very well. So, just recognizing um, that qualification. The hippocampus shrinks. That is the center for emotion and memory. The hippocampus shrinks. So, what that means, your capacity for emotion and memory gets really small. The amygdala of function increases, right? The center for creativity and ruminations. So, the recalling of experience increases. So, you imagine a traumatic event your ability to process that emotionally shrinks, your ability to recall it increases. That is not good. The prefrontal interior cingulate function decreases, the center for more complex functions like planning and self-development. So your emotional response decreases. This is all stuff within the functions of your brain. Your ability to imagine that scenario increases your ability to imagine your life beyond that situation decreases i'm looking at am am i on am am i right on this am i okay you guys are like more than medical people you can correct me if i'm wrong in short your body's thinking the way you physiologically respond to trauma suffering pain in your life is to in a certain sense take over and short-circuit your ability to move beyond it. It's just another way of saying verse 16. When we experience suffering, we often feel ashamed and embarrassed for experiencing what is complex spiritual, psychological, physical response to the trauma in our life. And Peter's encouragement, don't be ashamed of that. That's what it means to be human. That's what it means to experience life full on the chin or getting punched in the mouth, so to speak, for Jesus. And his encouragement, don't be ashamed. Nothing that you're experiencing is unique to you. The circumstances might be unique but everybody's had the experience you were having. Instead, let him glorify God in that name of being a Christian. This, I think, is a callback to, very, to the very beginning of 1 Peter. In the midst of our suffering, the way we open the window of our souls to understand the suffering that we're going, going through, not to change the circumstances, but our perspective, and to find God in that suffering If you have a Bible, you can read, I'll read these out for us. Peter, an apostle of Jesus Christ, this is what your name is in Jesus. To those who are elect exiles in the dispersion, those who have been chosen by God out of his grace, out of all ways of conceiving your life he chose for you to change your spiritual zip code right where you sit right now so that your experience is one as somebody who sits in the very throne and house of god himself not by the by the definition of where you live physically he chose you god chose for you to be in his family according to the foreknowledge of god the father Right, and it's not just that he chose you, kind of like willy-nilly, like lottery. Like I'll just well, well, there's Jacob's address. Uh, I'm not going to say it online because I don't want people to send me. (laughs) Uh, My address is 911 police station. Um, (laughs) Jacob's address. He chose us because he wanted us. That's a part of this whole thing. That's crazy about grace. He chose you to be a believer in Jesus and to follow Jesus, not because you had so much things going for you that he thought, here's a great pick. He thought, I want so-and-so, I want you because I want you, period. He's that type of God where his grace chooses out of delight for us. And then not only that, in the sanctification of the Spirit... Regardless of the mess of your life, whatever's going on and you think is absolutely a disaster zone and you think, man, I cannot get over this. This will not change easily or quickly. It is embedded with the spirit, the sanctification of the spirit, right? That's not any comment on your personal holiness. It is saying God has chosen to dwell there. Whatever the junk is in your house, all right? God knows I've got a lot of junk in my house and in my life. God has chosen to then make his grace-renewing holiness that we just sang about earlier live there. For obedience to Jesus Christ and and for the sprinkling with his blood, you are the exact type of person that Jesus chose to die for that you could follow him and know him. These are all just things that are wrapped up in being the name of a Christian that Peter refers to. He calls it out, may grace and peace be multiplied to you. That's your name. So when we get here, chapter four, four, verse 16, he says, in the midst of your suffering because you are trying just simply to obey and follow Jesus, and nothing really seems to be going according to plan, and you've been punched in the mouth yet again, yet if anyone suffers as a Christian, this is the big name of what your life is now in Jesus. Let them not be ashamed. You are not experiencing something that is inhuman. You're experiencing something. You're having a human experience following Jesus. But let them glorify God in that name of being defined by all that you have in this very God. That seems like a window that we can open. Okay. Okay. You guys tracking with me? We're going to move on, finish verse 19. It's warm. Everybody's thinking about, who's thinking about lunch right now? I'm thinking about lunch. Double, double thinking. Um, verse 19. The other way that Peter offers for us to open the window in the midst of our suffering to see God's presence with us is to do good with God despite the suffering Verse 19, therefore, let those who suffer according to God's will entrust their souls to a faithful creator while doing good. I don't think this is a rocket science verse. It's very straightforward. It's interesting to me, Peter has said throughout the course of this letter, seven or eight times, do good, right? The purpose of this letter is to help people who are in the midst of being persecuted or misunderstood or marginalized as for being Christians in a context that does not follow Jesus, figure out how to calibrate their lives for knowing and following Jesus. And what Peter chooses to continue to emphasize through all of that, do good. Do good. Do good. Do good to all the people around you. He continues to say it in all these creative and different ways. And I think some of this is just simply to say, in the midst of your suffering, we often, like we were saying earlier, go inward. And we do so kind of, He's just gently reminding us, God is in control. He is the creator. We often, anybody, uh, I'm sure some of you are aware, I'm a huge Taylor Swift fan. Anybody, any, any other Swifties? I got a, okay, we got a couple Swifties in here. Okay. I forgot that you existed, right? Lover album. I love that album. She says in that song, she comments about the beef that somebody had with her living rent-free in her brain. You know what I'm talking about? You can go listen to the song your way home from church. We often let suffering and whoever has inflicted or caused or been the, the movement behind suffering live rent-free in our brains and dominate our thinking both about ourselves and about our neighbors and about the world around us for free. (laughs) We let them do that in a way that just continues to kind of draw us inward. And Peter is effectively just saying, look guys, God is on the throne he controls what's going on he's not surprised by any of this stuff he is the creator right he is the faithful creator he's not an indifferent creator so let those who suffer according to god's will in god's world that he created who is faithful to you do good sometimes that is just quite simply doing good towards others to get out of your own head right Come down here to the Hope Center doing our project. You don't have to be in recovery. Just do good for other people. Help them, serve them, love this neighborhood. Just because you're just trying to get out of your own head and make your life not focused on yourself. God knows this sermon is for me. But it could also be that in the midst of your suffering, whatever you have experienced, is also a bridgeway in helping other people know the faithful creator sees them, knows them, loves them, and wants them. So, as we end this, let me ask a few questions to kind of guide us in our lives together. Maybe for a small group this week or just for your own rumination. What sufferings have you experienced that you want to see God's presence in? Some of you have experienced some pretty pretty extensive suffering. And some of that is because you're trying to follow Jesus. And yet when we look back on it, we feel with the Psalms God's absence. So how do we take on the tone of the Psalms to look back on those sufferings that we've been through or what we're going through right now and say, God, I want to see your presence with me. Not just on the pages of the Bible, but with the eyes of my own heart. What are ways that you can move towards God in your suffering? That may be praying towards a God that you feel that has abandoned you or forgotten you. It could also be talking to the folks around you in small group or church, engaging with other people, not to get your problems solved. Like, that's not to get people to solve the circumstances. It is, just to go back to the research, one of the healing ways of PTSD and all that stuff is just being able to vocalize your life and other people to hear it. They don't have to do anything. They just literally have to just listen. Being able to say your experience out loud so that the shame and embarrassment of what you feel on the inside is normalized and embraced for being a part of God's story in your life. When Peter guides us, I don't think what we have here is a one, two, three step for how to get out of suffering. When suffering comes and punches us right in the mouth, what I hope we've experienced in these verses is some ways to open the windows in our living room or to calibrate on the other side of that shock to say, okay, how do I continue to find God in the midst of this? God's in the middle of the suffering. He knows what the suffering's like. God wants me to move towards him and he's not ashamed of me struggling with suffering. And in the midst of all of this stuff, Whoever's caused this suffering, whatever's caused it, doesn't get to hold rent-free space in my brain. I'm going to continue to do good for those around me. Let's pray. Father, as we have considered this category, some of us are in suffering, some of us aren't. It's a bit indifferent, God. You're still with us. Whether there's suffering uninvited for us tomorrow, next week, next year, wherever you have it, wherever you see it happening, We pray that we would, regardless of our experience of suffering today, see your presence with us so that we can, when that moment comes, calibrate to continue to see your presence with us. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Thank you for listening to this message from King's Cross Church in Manchester, New Hampshire. Please feel free to share or distribute this content, but do not charge for it or alter the content in any way without permission. King's Cross Church exists to treasure,